Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. and ham shack my name is richard kb5 jbv thank you thank you for tuning in this time around i hope everybody is having a wonderful wonderful week uh let me introduce to you the man in charge of the whole nine yards around here up there in the booby mountains in arkansas russ k5 tux watch out for the hell sheep russ how you doing oh i'm doing just fine Good to be doing another podcast, another Linux in the Ham Shack. And this is actually episode number 78. We'll get to the reason why it's episode number 78 a little bit later on. But anyway, this is Russ from up here between the peaks in the pine forest of the Booby Mountains of North Central Arkansas. And uh, it's been a pretty good week so far. I had a long, boring day today, but at least it caps off with a recording tonight. We actually have some stuff to talk about. We've got people listening to the live stream. We've got people in the chat room. So everything is good. So how are things down in Texas? Oh, uh, well, it has turned out warm down here and, and there's been people looking at me and stuff. no, actually things have been going pretty good down here. Um, we, we about working ourselves to death, but other than that, life has been good. I've seen both my grandchildren in the past seven days, which is a, a record for us. And, and life, it just could not get more wonderful if it wasn't for that doggone Linux Mint. Well, that's something we're going to get to here pretty quick, isn't it? Oh, I'm sure we will. <laughs> Hello, everybody in the chat room. See, they hate that because I do it when we first turn the stuff on, but it's like it, uh, I want to include everybody's listening to us. Well, we've got Harrison in the chat room again tonight, which means that if you start you know, bashing Linux Mint, we might hear from him. But see, he doesn't have a microphone. No, he doesn't have a voice tonight, but he can always uh, text us mean and nasty things that we might have to badger out. But that's okay. I just won't look. Okay. Of course, this particular machine is actually running uh, Linux Mint 12, so I might not be able to see it if he posts it. Now, we had some trouble with the feed last time. Well, not the feed, but your audio coming through last time. Are you still on that same machine, or are you upgraded to something else? Well, no, I actually... uh, Instead of running Audacity or uh, running Skype on this machine, I'm running it on the machine I've been running it on as long as we've been doing the show. So it's running on the other machine. That's what it was because I had to shut the Audacity down to get things uh, fixed. All right. Well, I, last... speaking of Audacity, let me go turn that on. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
Well, all last, right. And all that wonderful conversation in the pre-show, we just missed it. Nobody will ever hear it. It was absolutely wonderful and semi-informative. That's true. It was actually kind of informative. Oh, well. Richard went all ham geeky. <laughs> now, the last episode went almost 90 minutes, so we're going to have to try and crunch this one down a little bit. So we're going to push uh, what little feedback and uh, announcements and stuff like that to the end so we can just wrap up. And we're just going to dive right into the meat of the matter. And Richard has some stuff he wants to say. That's because Linux Mint sucks. Yep. And that's what right there in the etherpad, bold, underlined, and three. Right in the show notes. Yep. Three exclamation points even. Actually, what what it boils down to is uh, y'all know that ever since we went to this crazy unity on, on Ubuntu, which I had been using Ubuntu for a long time. We went to Unity on that. We've gone to GNOME 3 on everything else, and I'm trying to find a distro that I can work with and be comfortable with. So the search continues. And I just want to talk a few minutes about the most recent part of the search, which includes uh, destruction, damage, stuff not working, death. And uh, we just talk through it. I've only, as some of you may know, I recently started a fresh job, which kind of keeps me in a position where I only have my days off to actually do anything. So for the last two days, I've been going through some distros on the other machine, the one that works so well for audio editing and video editing, and trying to find an appropriate operating system to stick on there. So uh, what we did is we took... Linux Mint 12. Linux Mint 12, we downloaded it and got it. Uh, well, we downloaded it and got it on another machine. And unfortunately, it's got that doggone GNOME 3 on it. Yes, GNOME 3. The, uh, the desktop, the desktop that is absolutely not for you if you actually need to get something done because everything's in the wrong place. But I have persevered with that. And decided and have jumped around. People keep telling me, use Cinnamon. Use uh, GNOME 3. Use the GNOME Classic. Use whatever the other one is, Mate. And I bounced around between all three of them. And the ones that are supposed to be most similar to GNOME 2 are not. And there's no way to configure the stuff. I like a desktop I can configure. I can make it the way I want it. I can get the stuff where I need it to get me moving the quickest through my daily chores. Mint 12 is not the one. All the codecs work. Okay, fine. Um, Firefox works. Thunderbird works. But don't try to put GTK pod on there because it ain't going to work. There's apparently a problem with one of the Python files in GTK pod for Linux Mint 12, which, uh, well, for those of you that have used GTK pod, you know that there's a screen, a little box that comes up when you first start it. It says, do you want to search for podcast ad or do you want to do something else? I can't remember what it is or close. None of the buttons work. And if you can't click one of the buttons, make that box go away. GTK pod don't work. So I decided to let that go and proceeded to work with this other machine. I figured if it don't work on that one, It ain't going to work on this one. So I didn't waste my time with Linux Mint 12. So then we moved on to LMDE, Linux Mint Debian Edition, the most current one. 
I just downloaded it yesterday. So we went ahead and moved that, moved towards loading that up on this, uh, this other machine, got it on there. Couldn't figure out why one of the cores in the processor was missing. Spent some time digging up that information, making correction to it because my standard practice is put the distro on, fix any minor problems, then update. So we fixed that problem, which took a little bit of time. Well, not as much as you'd think, but when you get when you don't have to do ten hour long downloads like you do with Windows, uh, it took a while. Then I started loading the stuff I needed on there. Yeah, but once again, we're still fighting. Well, no, we're not because that had GNOME two point five on it, and our two point three, and. Actually, I thought that was where we were going to settle until we ran into a problem with GTK Pod. Now, everybody knows I've been trying to get away from Windows, and the only thing keeping me there really is the three iPods I've received as gifts over the years that I still use. And it let's just face it, it's more convenient to use iTunes with them bad boys. But anyway, I was trying to make the move, and so I put it on, and we started having some problems. I couldn't get it to acknowledge the players and that kind of stuff. And a few other things went on, and I decided to let it go. Next thing we went after was CrunchBang Linux. Well, one thing you can be guaranteed about with CrunchBang Linux is that it is minimalist. Minimalist. So, yes, there's a lot of places to configure it, but... It's the other side of the coin. Too much configuration. So uh, we cut that one short pretty quick. And let me stop here because I should have said it when we were getting started. Uh, Richard wants to stay with a Debian-based operating system because Richard spent a lot of time on Debian-based operating systems. And he really doesn't want to learn how to use the other ones at this time. This particular machine I'm talking about is the one that I prefer to use for editing audio, videos when we do them, my day-to-day, keeping up the Aries roster and all this other stuff I like to do on this machine. So, crunch bang. We got past that. So then I decided, since I had a couple petitions going on and was swapping back and forth as I loaded these operating systems, um, I went ahead and loaded the XFCE over the top of Linux Mint Debian Edition and got to looking at it, and I'm like, hey, this might be it because it was pretty close. And I've been listening to some other shows. Just so happens Larry Bushy's chief executive minion over at his show has been using XFCE or using something in the, I guess it was XFCE, and the file manager in it is not... The Nautilus, it's Thunar, I believe. And he went ahead and got rid of that and loaded Nautilus on there, which Nautilus is like the number one program I use on Linux. I use it most often. So uh, I got to thinking to myself, hey, and loaded that on there, and it was just about what I needed. I could put my I could put my uh, panels where I wanted them. I could add stuff to them. I could make them bigger, smaller. I could change fonts. I could move stuff around. See, that's the problem with Linux Mint 12. You can't make hardly any adjustments. Or if you do, (laughs) it's a lot of work. So, 
I know I keep jumping back and forth. Up, oh, looks like we lost some people in the chat room. Must have been fanboys. Anyway, so um, I got to thinking about it. You know what? My biggest problem with Ubuntu is Unity. You, uh, Ubuntu is Debian-based. Uh, I've been using it, so I'm used to it. Let's see if we can't make it happen. So I downloaded the version of Ubuntu that comes with XFCE as default in the desktop. And yes, when it got finished loading, it looked good. It was configurable. I, I probably could have worked with it, but then I got to thinking about it. There were some things that it was a little shy on as far as features. And since we were uh, looking that direction, looking at Ubuntu without the GNOME desktop, I figured, what the heck? So I downloaded Kubuntu and was going to take another look at the desktop it's running. KD7385, whatever it is now. So... In the process of loading it, you know, I get it running on the live CD. Life is good. I think I can probably get comfortable with it and everything else. And I go ahead and click the install button. Install button. Life is good and we're on our way. Oh, no, no, not for Richard. We went through the install process where it, I'll tell you right now, folks, if y'all decide to put Linux Mint Debian Edition on, on the machine, uh, the one over here, it took 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, after I got uh, my name in there and the time zone and everything else and hit go, 10 minutes later, it was ready to use. Not so with Kubuntu. I set it going. 25 minutes later, it was ready to reboot. I rebooted it, and the system wouldn't start. Kept throwing errors, hard drive errors, all kinds of hard drive errors. My my uh, my grub is gone, and everything else. So I spent about three hours doing my best to determine what was wrong. Every time I would stick a CD into the CD drive to try and boot off of something else I had sitting here, it would go from the CD to the hard drive. I even went into the setup for the computer and turned off the hard drive, so it couldn't see it. And it was still doing it. I unplugged it for uh, over an hour and then came back, plugged it in, gave it another shot. No, sir. It continued to throw hard drive errors and stuff. I finally got to the point that I could use, that I could get to a diagnostic tool inside the, uh, the motherboard and check the hard drive. And it says the hard drive had failed. Now, I find this a bit interesting because... That hard drive was given to me a couple of years ago. It was still in the box, still had the cellophane wrapper around it. I took it out to stick it in this machine when uh, the boy brought it home because he bought it in a flat screen monitor for 50 bucks because it, they locked themselves out of the other operating system that used to be on it. <sighs> so uh, that drive's only been in here a little over a year and running. So I find it hard to believe it's not impossible. But I find it hard to believe that it chose that particular moment to fail. And in the past, I've had Kubuntu kill equipment before. It's bloodthirsty. So I would advise you all to stay away from Kubuntu if you can, because you might have an issue like mine. Now, everybody's caught up on Richard's travels. Now, just, just to summarize, just to summarize, 
Linux Mint is good if you're not too techy and you just want to fire it up and run. Linux Mint 12 is very good for that. If you're really going to get down and use it, you need to go to LMDE. LMDE, it, it, somebody who knows a little bit about their machine, they have certain work type stuff they need to do. Like I said, I need a machine that I can do Aries rosters on, do my emails, um, run some amateur radio stuff on, uh, do photos, edit videos and audio and that kind of stuff. LMD is more suited to that. Crunchbang. Crunchbang is good for, for what it was developed for. Good, small, older machines with smaller, uh, re, less resources. Unless, of course, you're the kind of person who wants to spend a lot of time getting it set up properly. I'm a big fan of Crunchbang, but it's not going to suit my purposes at this time. The XFCE version of Ubuntu, I really think I could have worked with that on this machine. And after I figure out what the hard drive issue is, and I have another hard drive out in a tote somewhere in the garage that I can remove. It's smaller than the one I had, but it'll work. Uh, I'm going to give it another shot. As far as Kubuntu, run away, run away screaming. Because, yeah, it looks good when you're running it on live CD, but it's like the serial killer of Linux distributions. So, having said all that, and gone, I don't know, probably about 15 minutes, I should probably let Russ talk a minute. So, what do you think about all that, Russ? Oh, I don't really have a whole lot to say about that. <laughs> no, just kidding. I, I haven't tried any of those other versions of Linux Mint. I stopped using Mint when I stopped using Ubuntu, just because they're partly the same thing. So yeah. I I went over to LMDE, and you tried LMDE, but you're not too terribly happy with it, I take it. Well, I was just, for the most part, frustrated, quite honestly. The, the the initial consideration that was a problem with LMDE is the fact that to get it to run on this particular machine, I have to, uh, after you initially get it installed on the system, to get it to acknowledge more than one core in your processor, you have to go back and install the 686-PAE kernel. So I had to do that. Once I did that, both processors were showing up, or both sides of the processor were showing up. And then I started having issues trying to install this GTK or G-Potter. Now, G-Potter is highly spoken of by Larry Bushy, and I think a lot of Larry. And I figured if I was going to try and get away from from iTunes, I was going to give it a shot. And I had some issues there. In the process, I started having some different issues with the GNOME that was on there and uh, decided to go ahead and try some of this other stuff. But I'll tell you what, LMDE surprised me because the last time I tried LMDE, it did not install the codecs and stuff when you first installed it on the machine. You had to go back and install them yourself. This time, it loaded all that stuff. Because I couldn't believe I clicked on a sound file and it started playing. And I'm like, shouldn't be doing that. An MP3 file. It shouldn't be doing that. So I plugged the headsets in and sure enough, it was playing it. And went over, went ahead and went over to YouTube. 
and clicked on one of the videos, and boom, there it was. It's some gal, some gal in a really short dress teaching Japanese. I really recommend it, folks. Short gal or gal in short dress Japanese. Yeah. Um, but the codecs were in there, and it really surprised me. But I was wanting to go, you know, what the heck, go find something that I was more familiar with because I have become unfamiliar with Debian over the years. Oh, I know what it is. It's a couple things were acting a little flaky in it because I guess because it pulls out of that rotating testing repository thing. And whereas I have time that for that on one of the machines I play on, the ones that are primarily amateur radio and stuff like that, the one that I use every day for my work-related stuff and stuff like that, I, I can't do that. I can't spend a lot of time maintaining it every day. Crunchbang I've used before, and if I had the time to set it up the way I wanted it, that's what I'd use, but I don't. Uh, and the XFCE Ubuntu, that was looking like it was going to be the thing. It was either going to be that one, or I was going to go back to LMDE and spend the time to set up the XFCE on it. You know what? I do like LMDE, and I think it works great for me. The only thing that I have a problem with is it's a little bit behind the times. They're sort of laying back on the idea that it's a rolling release and not really keeping up. And since it's based on squeeze, it doesn't have things like Cinnamon and, you know, Gnome 3 and stuff like that in the LMDE repository, so you can't run that kind of stuff. But overall, it's not a big deal. I'm kind of a fan of Gnome 2 myself anyway. So well, there not you go and the I'll tell you the uh, the default choices over on Linux Mint twelve I really wasn't impressed by any of them. Okay, really wasn't. So with that, now everybody's up to date on Richard's continuing quest, never ending quest for for a uh, distro distro that works for him. We know Russ has found him one. It uh, it's got the it's got a, a piece of fruit with a bite took out of it on the front of it. It does not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they took the bite mark off of it, did they? <laughs> Actually, if you watch The Simpsons, they have two bite marks. Mm, well, that's Homer's fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there you go. So, all right. all right, I've run my head about Linux Mint sucking and all this other stuff. And we're, what, how long have we been going? About 20 minutes? Yeah, probably far too long. So we're going to pack all this into the second segment, or are we going to actually just go on with the first one? Uh, why don't we trudge forward and, and get this? I don't think it's open media vault to go very long, because you know a lot about it, but I don't know Jack. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I saw this open media vault thing show up in the Etherpad, and I thought, well, I'll go ahead and take a look at it, because I'm always interested in something that, kind of looks and feels and plays like free NAS, which so far I haven't found a decent alternative to. I mean, I'm still really, really liking free NAS version uh, 0.7, I think it is, or version 7, whatever they call it. The new one, which is 0.8 or version 8, uh, not, not terribly impressed with. I took a look at it after I did a talk on it back at uh, Indiana Linux Fest and, or no, Southeast Linux Fest wherever I did my talk on free NAS anyway, eight has removed a lot of the functionality that seven used to have. So I'm sticking with seven and I still love it and I still use it every single day. But this open media vault thing is sort of uh, another uh, take on 
the open source NAS implementation where you can serve files basically. And Media Vault takes a cue from media files where you want to be able to set up like an iTunes library, a DAAP store, or a DAP store. It has additional functionality like you would find in FreeNAS, like the ability to have Samba shares so you can, you know, connect to your Windows machines or NFS mounts so you can connect to your Linux machines. It supports FTP, SSH, TFTP, RSync, BitTorrent, and it has a plugin scheme so that people can write additional plugins to support additional kinds of file transfer or file storage or media sharing options. And you can just download, click on a button, install those plugins, and Open Media Vault will then go ahead and support those new options. Now you can find Open Media Vault at openmediavault.org, I believe it is. It would help if I was actually looking at the Etherpad. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you was looking at the Etherpad. <laughs> you were so elegant. No, I was Ele- looking at ele- something. Yeah, HTTP, openmediavault, one word, dot org. Openmediavault dot org right yeah now i did a quick install of this in a virtual machine and it went really really fast and if you're familiar with debian installs open media vault is based on debian so it looks and feels very much like debian but once you get done with the install then basically just like free nas everything is handled through the web gui and the only real difference is open media vault is based on linux whereas free nas is based on BSD, free BSD to be exact. So I did a quick install. I installed Open Media Vault and I have the server up and running and I'm looking at it right now and I'm looking at the web GUI and it's pretty much just a point and click interface. Let navigation down the left hand side, configuration options on the right hand side, and it's very, very straightforward. It's set up a lot like FreeNAS is, but one thing I will say is that Open Media Vault looks less mature, say, than FreeNAS. FreeNAS has a very fluid and effective GUI interface that sort of flows and just works. Open Media Vault, I think, is a little bit newer project. I don't know that for sure, but it kind of has the feel of a newer project. And while you can navigate it, it looks like a lot of the GUI interface was kind of thrown together uh, with a little bit of uh, jQuery, Ajaxy type stuff. Um, but it looks like a lot more interfaces out there, whereas FreeNAS kind of has its own personality. And I just got logged out of it, so let me log back in. Russ broke it again. That's right, I broke it. Badger. <laughs> so basically, um, it has support for you know all of your different file systems. It can uh, use the SMART utilities to check the status of your hard drives, make sure your system is working properly. You can share things out via, like I said, BitTorrent, NFS, Samba, FTP, SSH, TFTP, and RSync. There's lots of diagnostic utilities. There are pretty graphs where you can see how much memory and uh, disk I.O. and stuff like that that your system is using. Everything is pretty much point-and-click configuration, and uh, it it all works pretty straightforward. There's really nothing that uh, a layperson wouldn't understand if they actually went into the graphical user, the graphical user interface via the web, and just started playing around. All pretty much straightforward. So, have you taken a look at this? Is there anything you want to? Do you want to take a look at my server and and see if you want to comment on anything? 
Well, actually, you know, I haven't had a chance to play with it yet. Uh, I, I was uh, listening to another show and they were talking about, let's talk into the microphone. Actually, I haven't had a chance to mess with it yet. Um, I was listening to another show and they were talking about it. And uh, the point they were making is, yes, it is fairly new. It uh, hadn't been around that long. Uh, but uh, the biggest point in their opinion was the fact that it was did look like it was simple enough for just about anybody to use. You didn't have to be a super geeky network attached server thing certified fella to be able to use it. Yeah, and, I, uh, I feel that's the, one same. Of the reasons I'm I'm looking at it. I, in fact, I've got so many of these old machines that if I could just load them up with hard drives and set them in the closet, I'd do it. If you're going to do that, though, I honestly recommend FreeNAS over this. The entire setup process is automated, pretty much. The footprint of the operating system for FreeNAS is much lighter weight. You don't actually know that it's BSD underneath because everything is done through the web GUI. And there is much more functionality built into FreeNAS than there is to this Linux version Open Media Vault uh, right now. I'm not saying that things won't change in the future, though FreeNAS is sort of, like I said, Boy, hang on. Boy. You should never mix a great big giant glass of tea with two beers. Yeah, something like that. Oh, that's what's going on on this end. <laughs> so FreeNAS is sort of going downhill from, from what I see. I, I see their pinnacle as version 0.7, which is where they had all kinds of functionality built in. And the stuff going forward actually has a prettier interface and maybe a little bit easier for the layman to use. But honestly, the 0.7 release is so easy, I don't see how anyone would have a trouble with it. And there is so much more functionality built in. I would just say, find an older copy of FreeNAS, go with that. And for the moment, it just seems to outperform and outfeature Open Media Vault. But this is definitely a project to look at going forward. And I will continue to do that as time goes on. Well, that's something I'd like to do too. And you know, it's one of those things that's going to have to go on the list around here. I've got so many projects backed up up. And in fact, I've got some, uh, 15 DB antennas for one of the routers here that I was going to use for, uh, what they call it, high speed multimedia and haven't had, haven't even had a chance to take them out of the envelope yet. So, uh, we will be keeping up with this folks and, uh, we'll get back to you on it and let you know how it's going. So yeah. you about ready to uh, grab a break? I know I'm going to have about three minutes in r to run a marathon while we're listening to music. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. I probably got a few things to do too anyway. So I'm going to make this easy. Like, you know, we changed our format a little bit on the last show and we're going to continue with that as we go forward. I heard this song or I heard about this song on IRC from somebody over at the Ogcast Planet. And I wanted to play it because I really, really like this one. And uh, I hope everybody enjoys it too. This one is by a group called the Freak Fandango Orchestra. And I, you got to love the way people name their groups these days. But anyway, this is some good stuff. So while Richard goes down the hall and I go down the hall to fuel up, we're going to listen to the Freak Fandango Orchestra do a song called Requiem for a Fish. Uh, this is a little instrumental ditty off their album, Tales of a Dead Fish. So I do hope you like it, and we'll come back on the other side with some additional topics on Linux and ham radio, and uh, we'll, we'll all make your lives complete. So settle down and come back on the other side. <laughs> 
the music just stopped and we're back. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, yeah, buddy. Okay. We got a few things to go over and we're going to have to go over them kind of quick because we went a little long on the first segment, but that's okay. We always go a little long and sometimes we go a little short, but that's okay. Uh, I just wanted to relate to y'all. I actually got a phone call the other night from one of the developers. Apparently, everybody's listening to the show, even the developers, or some of them anyway. I've uh, got a call from Bill, W9YA. If y'all remember here a while back, we talked about YFK log and YFK test, which is a contest version of the YFK log. And uh, um, don't remember, I'm sure we probably mentioned that it was getting kind of getting a little long in the tooth and that kind of stuff. Well, Bill called me the other night and uh, told me that he and the other maintainer who's in Portugal, and I don't remember his call at this particular time, uh, have been really working on YFK test. This also ties into a few episodes back when we were talking, uh, someone had asked us to uh, discuss contest logging programs, and you know, Russ and I aren't really much of contesters. I'm kind of a casual operating kind of guy. Unless, of course, I hear somebody in a contest that uh, I need, and then I jump in there, do my thing, and get back out. However, he called me, and he said that they've recently done a lot of uh, uh, patching up and repairing and fixing little minor bugs. They had a bunch of contesters uh, come on board to beta test for them and got that all squared away. And in the process, they were taking feature requests and... Uh, have been able to incorporate quite a few of those in the program. So uh, it's supposed to be really bang up, and I really haven't... I talked to him and went over and looked at the website a little bit and uh, that kind of stuff, but really haven't had a chance to run it yet. Russ and I are going to run it and see what it looks like. And any of you guys out there that are contesters... We'd appreciate it if y'all would grab a hold of a copy of it and see what you think. Uh, some of the supported contests in it are the All Asia DX contest, uh, the ARRL DX contest, Field Day, Sweepstakes, CQ Worldwide, um, IRU HF Championships, just all kinds of stuff here. The PSK Deathmatch. I don't know about that one. I ain't heard about that one, or I'd probably tried to get in on it. Uh, it's still, uh, uh, I'm sure they haven't had a chance to work on the interface yet. So it still looks kind of old fashioned. However, but however they, uh, let's see, last time I checked, yes, no, that's not it. You know, one thing, when you download the stuff from the subversion repository and you fire it up, it says it's YFK log version 0.0.10. Yes. And if you look at the... Uh, YFK test website, they only show up to 0.0.9. Right. And he, he and I were discussing that. Uh, and in fact, apparently he's been in there working on YFK, uh, YFK test tonight because all the stuff under the trunk, uh, the trunk directory or folder, uh, appears to have been updated in the last few hours. Well, that's so, the, the nature of version control is every time you put out an update, yeah. it gets automatically updated. So they are still steadily working away on it. 
Um, I'm not real. I think that uh, the fellow that originated this one, DJ One YFK, has kind of stepped back and uh, put these guys in charge of going ahead and maintaining, fixing it up, and that kind of stuff. And uh, hang on a second. Okay. Um, you you anyway step back and let some guys fix it up and, and that kind of stuff. And as far as the going to get it is concerned, the old website is still good. You just have to go down to the bottom and pull it out of the uh, pull it out of the SV, the subversion repository and that kind of stuff. But you can go look at what's over there in it. Uh, it's pretty pretty long URL. The actual web page is kind of difficult to. Uh, <laughs> Kind of difficult to convey over the air, but here we go. We're going to give it a shot. FKURZ.net. FKURZ, which is guys' initials and stuff. Uh, .net stroke ham stroke YFKTest.html. And uh, for those of y'all that may have a little trouble with that, we will have it in the show notes as soon as I can get back to them because doggone it. I opened it up in that window. Yeah. You thought you were going to get away without editing this too much. <laughs> okay. It'll be in the show notes. Y'all y'all go over to the website, lhspodcast.info and check out the show notes. It'll, it'll be down there under segment two, even though we're a little out of order, <laughs> we will, uh, we will get that corrected too. Okay. So, crap. okay. So Russ is back. He's refreshed. And he's ready to go, ready to go, ready to go. Did you actually talk about using uh, YFK test? Actually, I've never used it. Well, see, I'm having a problem with YFK test. Like, I started up, I downloaded it, you know, Uh and you don't really have to do anything. There's a compiled version for Linux that just sort of runs. You do a YFK test, and it starts up. You uh, can pick what contest you're actually going to participate in. And I, for example, am picking uh, the ARRL field day option. Uh-huh. So I do that, and then I pick a file name for my log. Well, let's call it uh, field day 2012. I put my call sign in. I say I'm non-assisted. I'm going to be using all modes or all bands and mixed modes. It's just me, high power, one transmitter, and that's it. And now when I do that, I get a Perl error which I'm going to have to look up a serial port. So apparently that's for rig control. Oh, yeah, he it does do, uh, I was looking at it, it does do rig control through HamLab. Right, so it's got support for uh, HamLab 2's rig control, which is great, but I don't have that, but that's not really the issue because I'm just talking about the logging part of this, not the rig control part. Right. And I have a, an entry box where I suppose I put in a call sign. So let me put in like KB5JBV. And then it gives me a list of uh, different uh, field day areas like Los Angeles and Connecticut and Eastern Massachusetts, Eastern New York, so on and so forth. So I do that. I give uh, a call report, and then I put, I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to put in this last field. It wants letters, so I don't know if that's like northern New Jersey. Let me go ahead and try that. Uh, Field day? Uh, It'd be like 2ANTX. Yeah, it won't let me put in 2A, though. Okay. 
maybe it's just NTX. Maybe it's just the section. Yeah, well, I would think it would want the entire, um, you know, the operating mode of the, you know, the remote station. Um, but I can't put in, you know, 2A or 2B or 1D or whatever it might be. And anyway, no matter what I put in that field, it won't actually log it. So I'm having a little bit of an issue there. So we definitely, I think, need to talk to, uh, what's the gentleman's call sign there? Whiskey w9ya yeah w9ya and tell me why this new version doesn't actually seem to do anything well uh, i need to download it and play with it and uh see what's going on with it also because if it's that that way he was telling me it it was way easier than it used it used to be and in the case of field day well yeah um the exchange is the station and uh it's a rl section so you should be able to get both of that uh both both pieces of that information in there well i want okay i didn't actually put it in exchange so let me go ahead and do that instead let me uh-huh. uh, go ahead and try try this one more time i don't want to take too much time doing this but field day 2012 k5 tux unassisted all bands mixed mode just me high power, one transmitter, and I'm going to say I'm like uh, one delta. Okay, so I put that in there. Uh, and, okay, do it one more time because I screwed something up. Okay, so. In other words, Russ is breaking some more stuff. That's right, I'm, I'm breaking some badger. Uh, call K5TUX, unassisted, all bands, Mixed modes, single op, high power, one transmitter, one delta. Okay. So go ahead and put me in there. Now let's let me put in your call sign there, KB5JBV, and we'll give you a 599. And we'll go to, we'll go, uh, let's say Puerto Rico. Let's say you're in Puerto Rico. Nope. Uh-huh. Still, still doesn't do it. So I, I don't know what's going on, but it won't log anything. Yeah. Well, we'll have to check into that. Yeah. We'll definitely have to check into that because. Apparently there's, they've done some work and there's lots of uh, subversion commits for this and new updates and everything to the application. But if you can't get it to actually do anything, it's pretty useless. Well, so, yeah, now I'm, I'm sure it's probably something simple. That, I, yeah. I'm sure it's, you and you know, I'm he, sure it's uh, user, wait a user. Minute. Wait, 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 Um, he was telling me, let me find my notes, my physical notes from the phone call. Uh, Richard makes physical notes when he takes a phone call. So if y'all want to make Richard actually write something, call him on the phone. Let me oh see. Oh my. Oh my. YFK test 4.17 is what he's saying because his partner in Portugal sometimes queers the repository accidentally because he's not sure how to use it. 4.17. Yeah. Let me see. I'm looking. Apparently, I'm starting to lose my voice, too. Well, if anybody else in the chat room wants to download the subversion version of YFK test 0.0.10 and tell me what the hell I'm doing wrong, we'll report on it. But anyway, while you're doing that, we should probably get to the other thing. 4.17. The revision 1.4.17 is the one he said to get. What is that, the version of subversion? Uh, yeah, I guess so. No, the YFK test. YFK? <clears throat> well, okay, whatever. My version it's of YFK a, test is... It says revision 4.17. Uh, 
4.17. Well, I got whatever was in subversion, so that's that's all I can get. Okay. Okay. Let me say this before we move on, because we will probably won't be back for a while because Russ is angry now. And um, any of you contesters that can get this and download it and take a look at it and give us some input on what you think about it, uh, I have told W9YA that at some point we may get him on the show here so we can talk about it, but we need to know something about it before we can talk about it. So um, y- y'all go ahead and do that. So what? El- let's see what we got. Minos contest logging software. Yeah, I'm not even sure where this came from, the, the Minos contest logging software, but somebody mentioned it and it showed up and there was something about how they used it um, as a, a European operator uh-huh. and, um, that it runs under Linux using wine. Uh-huh. So I went to actually find out if that is in fact the truth and it is in fact the truth. Um, what I did was I went and downloaded, apparently they have a subversion repository where you can download the latest version, but I just downloaded their latest zipped up version. Uh-huh. Um, which was logger underscore one dot five dot five dot zip or something like that, and yeah. installed it in Wine. Well, because it's a zip file, there's no actual installer. I just uh, unzipped it in my dot Wine slash drive underscore C directory in program files, which is where the sort of virtual environment for Wine programs lives. And then I just did a wine on minoslogger.exe. And if you do that, uh, then the logger actually comes up just fine and works just fine. Now, unfortunately, I didn't actually go through and figure out how to actually set up the logger and get it to do anything like log. Uh, But it does work and it didn't crash and it didn't give me a bunch of warnings and a bunch of stuff like that. So if you're actually interested in trying out the Minos contest logger, you can go to Minos, Mike India November Oscar Sierra dot Berlioz, Bravo Echo Romeo Lima India Oscar Sierra dot de Delta Echo. Uh, that's a German site, and download the logger. And there's actually instructions on the website on how to get this to run under Wine. It does seem to run perfectly. And one thing I will say is that the list of contests it supports compared to that of say YFK test is massive there are like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different contests that this logger is set up for uh for you contesters out there listening to the show this might be the software for you well actually i'm kind of wondering why they released it under a bsd license because i did go in and uh, take a look here and there are pretty explicit instructions on how to run it under wine but apparently it's written for windows that's right. It is written for Windows. Which confuses me once again, but that's okay. Because there are instructions in here for installing it on most Linux distributions under Wine. And it even gets specific about Ubuntu, Fedora 10, Ubuntu, and um, Fedora 10. Okay. So, uh, and as, it apparently covers all the Region 1 contests, which is why he was probably talking about Europe or wherever well i um I, w- I actually downloaded it and installed it on linux mint so that means it works on debian just fine yeah 
um, and should really work on anything under wine. Shouldn't be that really big an issue. And one nice thing about the BSD licensing scheme is that even though it's a Windows application, BSD pretty much says that it's open source. So if you are into source code stuff that's written for Windows and know how to convert it into source code that's written for Linux, somebody could go in and actually convert this to a native Linux app and release it uh, back under the BSD license because they're really, uh, BSD license is not copylefted, so basically you can do anything you want with it. So um, you could then go ahead and release it as a Linux version. Uh, I obviously don't have the time for that, but somebody might, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, and it appears to be a, a fairly basic logger just looking at the screenshot of it and might be quite handy to have around. I guess I'll put that one on the list to check it out also. We got so much stuff to check out. We got we got we got material for eight hundred more episodes just checking stuff out that we say we're gonna check out. Yeah, and that <laughs> information on that did come from a listener of the show. And I do apologize that I can't remember which listener that is right now, but I'll make sure to uh bring that up in the next episode and, and let everyone know who uh, told us about that particular logger. Yeah. We will get credit where credit is due. All right. So, uh, oh, Russ has got his all-star node up and going. Tell us all about it, Russ. Well, here's the thing. I do have my all-star node up sort of, I downloaded the acid version of CentOS that they recommend you use for the all-star link, but I want to try and convert their CentOS version to my Debian version or my Mint version, as it were, so that it can be used with my installation of Asterisk rather than their particular distro with Asterisk support. So I'm in the middle of that project and I haven't actually got it done. So uh, that's really all I have as far as the update on All-Star Link. One thing I will say is that I am going to get All-Star Link to work, and when I do, everyone will know it. But for the moment, I have managed to get SVX Link back operational. So Node 54711, which is my K5TUX-L local repeater node, is back on Echolink. So you can contact me using Echolink once again. Echolink is back working. All-Star is still a work in progress, and I'll let everybody know how that's going when I have more information about it. That's really all I have to say about that. And uh, we probably need to end this segment so we can do a little more music and then wrap up. What do you think? Uh, well, yeah, I was going to say we either need to roll with it or play some music. So what will you uh, favor us with next? Okay, what I will favor us with next is something I just pulled off of cchits.net, which is a great place to go for Creative Commons music. So check that out if you're uh, looking for stuff. A lot of the things on there come from Jumendo and other particular uh, Creative Commons websites, but it's a good place to get everything sort of aggregated for you. Um, the song that I'm looking to play is one called Boats, and it's by a group called I Am Not Left-Handed. And I featured I Am Not Left-Handed on a previous episode of the show uh, many episodes back, but this not this song. Here is a little bit of I Am Not Left-Handed, so I hope everybody enjoys it. Listen to Boats, and we'll see you on the other side.
dollars for road and faster car and wait see if it comes true for a house on distant streets dream of nights in softer sheets there's beach There you go. Living proof. You should never play bongos on the stairs. 
<laughs> okay, we're back. All right. Let me see what we got going on here. Cause Russ done distracted me, sent me off looking at, at websites and everything else. Oh, okay. We decided to move everything to the end of the show. So we're, we're going to run through some stuff and then we're going to be out of here. Uh, so announcements, what we got as far as announcements, Russ? Well, we do have an announcement or two. Um, let me look and see if we got any feedback to get to. Did I post any feedback? I guess I didn't. Did I? No, you didn't. Do you have any feedback? Have you gotten any emails from anybody who says anything interesting or useful or I don't know, redundant even? Actually, it was all for the other show. I get more feedback on the other show now that it's not in production than I did when it was in production. <laughs> oh, great. And we're not getting anything. So I feel bad now. Well, but we do have, uh, fault. we have this voice comment. Let me see what this voice comment is. This, this is a voice comment that came in after the Dalton ham fest. Somebody who called in, who had a question, uh, apparently meant to, direct it to Ronnie, but says that it's for Richard. So let me go ahead and play this and let's see if we can answer this question. Probably rude. <laughs> well, we'll find out in a minute, won't we? Uh huh. Hey Richard, this is Ed, uh, Figueroa, KB4 VWA. I met the, uh, Dalton Hamfest. I was a friend of, uh, Ralph. I told you I'm in the packet radio. I used to be, um, I got a question for you. You might be able to help me with or direct me to someone who's really knowledgeable of mfj tnc's i need to find somebody i bought like three of them i told you three or four of them at the show used and i'm having trouble with them and i think it's got to be something i'm doing wrong because um they're just i can't believe i got three bad ones um basically i can read the tnc's i just can't connect to other stations with them um but i can do it with my cantronics i don't know what parameter could be not enabling me to connect nor to monitor traffic uh, uh, anyways, give me a call eight, two, eight. Well, we're not going to go ahead and give him a call, but we will talk about it on the, on the podcast, I guess, if you want to address his issue. Oh, well, I'm, I'm always up for trying to help. Uh, just remember before we get started, here's the disclaimer. Richard has, of all the TNCs Richard's ever used, the MFJ ones are the ones he's used least. Uh, but here's what, here's what I'm hearing right off the bat. That you are run, one running the wrong baud baud rate, that would be the number one thing to check your on air baud rate, because if you're able to actually see and communicate with the TNC, but the TNC is not able to communicate over the air, that's going to be the most common thing. And the fact that they use dip switches to set that uh, stuff on these, uh, and you've either probably got a 1270 or 1278. Uh, 1270B or C or 1278, and um, the dip dip switches on the back are how you set the a lot of the uh, actual parameters for that. There's also some uh, parameters in the menu that you might be able to change that with. Secondly, number two, uh, make sure all your connections are good. That's the second most common problem. Number three is uh that your audio level or the actual audio that you're feeding into the TNC is not what it needs to be. Meaning uh, the audio quality of the signal, if it's running through the front of the radio, through the microphone jack, there may be frequencies on either side of the signal that are being cut off. 
if you're running it through a jack on the back of the radio, it should be right unless you have a volume issue or something like that going on. And last but not least, I would also take a look at uh, the radio itself. Make sure that it is transmitting right on frequency. In the case of FM, yes, you've got a pretty wide signal, but that uh, packet frequency, because it's going to be our audio frequency is a packet because it's running at 1200 baud in the case of 12 or 24 in the case of VHF and 48 or higher on uh, UHF and above. Uh, the audio signal can be so wide that it's dropping out of the pass band on the radio or is dropping out of the pass band on the receive on these other radios. Those are the top four things that could be going wrong. It normally boils down to audio quality, either speed and the baud rate because the MFJs, I believe, will go all the way up to 9,600. I know some of the ones I had wouldn't go any higher than 48, 48 baud or 4,800 baud, but some of them will go all the way to 96. Uh, I would try and get a manual online, which they're still uh, fairly easy to get your hands on, and check those dip switch settings. That would be the first thing I would check. Past that, it's going to be some kind of audio issue between the TNC and the radio. So hopefully that answers your question. Do you have any thoughts on that, uh, Russ? Unfortunately, not really. It's been so long since I've dealt with uh, MFJ TNCs that I wouldn't even have the remotest idea of what to suggest as far as that goes. If I remember correctly, mine operated at 1,200 baud. So uh, that may be something to look at for sure. Well, uh, yeah, there's dip switches on the back of those MFJs for uh, setting several parameters. One of them's uh, the on-air baud rate, I think, I'm pretty sure. Or that may be the serial baud rate, and the on-air baud rate is uh, is handled by something in the men- in the men- internal menu. Uh, getting three of them that are bad, unless uh, I I wouldn't think that would happen at a ham fest. It might happen at a at a flea market or a swap meet, but at a ham fest, uh, we do things a little bit differently. I'm really thinking he's either got a, an on-air baud rate mismatch or it's going to be something to do with his audio signal, up to and including the signal not being loud enough. And in the case of the 1278s, they actually have pots on the side of them with holes in the case so you can get in there and adjust the audio uh, on them for uh, different purposes, HF, U, HF VHF, UHF. And, uh, you know, there was something else, you know, uh, if you were going to run packet on, on HF, you'd go down as far as 300 baud. So most of these will go down there, but yeah, uh, go ahead and, uh, I'm pretty sure it's good. Start with the on-air baud rate past that. It's going to be some kind of audio issue either with the radio or with the TNC. Ta-da. <clears throat> Answers and- are plenty. And no, I wasn't at Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there were some names thrown around there, like Ed and Richard and uh, Who Shot Magoo, and I, I don't know. There, there was, but anyway, hopefully that answers the question. Hopefully they're actually got enough information from Ronnie to be able to listen to the podcast to receive that answer. We can, we can hope that all things worked out, you know, for all people. Well, there you go. And if you're still having problems, send us an email. 
and uh, we'll we'll try and go from there. Well, if nothing else, Ronnie will hear this episode, and he should be able to follow up. If if we need to give him the the phone number that the gentleman provided, we will do so, so we can uh, get an answer to his question. One way or the other, we'll do that. Yeah, there you go. So, what else we got? Well, there's nothing else as far as feedback, so let me go through a couple of announcements, unless you have some feedback you want to throw in. No, go ahead. Okay, well, there's feedback, except Linux Mint sucks. <laughs> yes, we established that early in the show. Thank you. Okay. Well, a couple of quick things, and then we're going to roll on out of here. Uh, the first is that I split up and added a couple of feeds to the website. Uh, if you were a fan of listening to the LHS music streams or the LHS up all night streams, I have now created an AUG feed and an MP3 feed for both of those. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is because the links to the actual streams have changed. So you went, you may want to update your, uh, whatever stream receivers you use, whether it's VLC or you know, some other thing like Banshee or whatever to receive those streams, you want to check those out and make sure they're current. The only reason I did that is because we have the application now that also runs on iPad devices, iPads, iPhones, so on and so forth, those fruit-filled computers, mobile devices, and those will only stream MP3 feeds properly. Uh, The AUG feeds they can't do. So in order to make the applications work the same way for people who use Apple devices as those who use Android devices, I had to create MP3 feeds as well as AUG feeds. Now, just so everybody knows, the live streaming feed that we're doing right now is an MP3 feed, so it works on any device. And it's done that way deliberately so everybody can hear it. So that's all there is about that. You can just check the website at lhspodcast.info to get the new links uh, they're down the right-hand column. That should be all you need. So, yes, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say yes, and they look quite lovely in the sidebar. Quite lovely in the sidebar. So y'all go over there and click on them, get them loaded up. I, I, I must be the only one on the planet that only gets one song on them. But I know they uh, they have to work because everybody else thinks they do. Because <laughs> I got bad uh, bad audio karma. Now, I, I know that most browser media players don't seem to work with the feeds. If you use VLC, it definitely will. And I should probably load that on whatever machine I end up on next week. It looks like we have a new member of the Black Sparrow Media family, so who would that be? Yeah, y'all don't mind Russ. He just been drinking a bit. Uh, <laughs> yes, we are, we are proud to welcome Waveguides to the Black Sparrow Media Network. Uh, Waveguides up there in, uh, up there in Canada. Those guys, you know, we, uh, we talked about their show here a while back, uh, sometime back and, uh, they got with us and decided to join up on a network. Let me, uh, let me say this at this time. If you do have a, uh, have a podcast, you'd like to get onto the black sparrow media network. Uh, you can get in touch with us or you can go on over and check it out. I think Russ has got everything posted over there that, uh, uh, to answer all the questions, you just send us an email and uh, let us know you're interested, and we'll, we'll get it all worked out. Is that pretty much it, Russ? That's pretty much all there is to it. If you go to blacksparrowmedia.net, you'll see all of the information there about whatever feeds are currently available. Uh, there's a link to the RSS, so you can just put that in your, your podcast reader or your G Potter or iTunes or whatever, and you will get 
the time sensitive podcasts for everybody who's a member of our, our media network. And, uh, if you just go to blacksparrowmedia.net slash join, that will give you all the information on what you need to do in order to become part of the Black Sparrow Media Network. And I will say that it's a very, very minimal investment of time and a zero investment in money. So uh, please go ahead and if you have a podcast and you want a little bit wider distribution and want to become part of our media network, go to blacksparrowmedia.net and sign up. We'd, we'd really like to have some more content. And, and we uh, will, and we will consider anybody, any anybody except for the guy that sits on the merry-go-round at the park and talks to his uh, uh, talks to his uh, uh, Sansa media player. Uh, <laughs> we won't, we won't consider that guy. But it doesn't matter what you show. Like, get in touch with us. We'll see if uh, everything's a good good fit. I think, kind of. But once again, welcome to Wave Guides, our newest member at BlackSparrowMedia.com. Right. And as of this moment that we're recording, we are having a little bit of problem with their feed. I am going to get with, uh, Pete, which is V two XPL and get him to work out whatever his issue he's having with the feed so that our black Sparrow media content will update properly. And if you go ahead and put that in your iTunes feed, then you will get all four podcasts, uh, wave guides, Richard's radio adventures, Linux in the ham shack and the QSK netcast all in one feed. I mean, what could be better? There you have it. Russ is turning into a media mogul. That's right. Well, we're trying anyway. Or I, on the other hand, am a media mongol. (laughs) Okay. Two other things real quick. First is episodes have been renumbered. I spent four hours the other day renumbering episodes because ever since I recorded episodes 18, a and 19, a way back in 2010, uh, it's been bugging me. It's been tugging at the back of my cerebellum and I had to do something about it. So those episodes were now gone. Everything got pushed up two episodes. So now we're recording episode number 78, which is what we always were recording. It just two weeks ago would have been called episode 76, but now everything's back the way it should be. Feed should be updated. All the website content should be updated to reflect the new numbers and hopefully I haven't screwed that up too bad, but I just wanted to let everybody know that the episodes did get renumbered. And if everybody's, if anybody's confused about why we're doing episode number 78 right now, that's why. Yeah. I was no. wondering why, when I was messing with G Potter the other day, I kept showing 75 episodes and the number was 77. Yeah. Well, there you go. Hopefully everything's right. If anybody notices anything weird, just go ahead and email info at lhspodcast.info and tell me something's weird and we'll get it straightened out. I did a lot of database work last week and I think I got everything straightened out, but you never know. Something could still be screwed up. He means other than me. (laughs) Yeah. And one last thing. We're going to Hamvention in May, May 18th through 20th. So if anybody has a couple of dollars they can donate to our Go to Hamvention fund, please do so in the next month or month and a half. We really need your donations to be able to visit Hamvention to see all of our fellow hams and fellow listeners out there. And uh, we would love to be there, but we really need your support in that. So go to lhspodcast.info, click on the donate button, send us a couple of dollars uh, to make that little thermometer down the right-hand column explode uh, sometime around the first or middle of April so we can show up at 
the 2012 Dayton Hamvention. We really hope to see everybody there, uh, but we could really use your donations. So uh, thank you to everybody who's donated so far, and thank you to everybody who may or may not donate in the next month and a half or so, and hopefully we'll see you out in Dayton. Holy crap, y'all don't be surprised when you go over to oh Dayton. We're talking about Dayton. Yes. Russ is coming to Dayton. Russ is coming to Dayton. Richard, on the other hand, is not. <laughs> but y'all go by and see Russ and say hello and and take it take him some cheese fries and y'all don't stop up the toilets this year. Bad, bad hams. <laughs> bad, bad hams. It's the nachos, I'm telling you. Uh, I think it was. Uh, it may have been a little bit. The hamburgers may have been partially at fault. That's I'm thinking y'all, y'all go by and see Russ. He gets lonely down there. <laughs> um, but back to the other thing that I was going to say is y'all don't be surprised when you go to the black sparrow media network. Cause now it's white. It's a white black sparrow. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on updating the feed. And one thing I got to fix is the fact that the font is way too freaking big. But uh, as soon as I get that worked out, it'll be a much nicer looking site than it was before. It's just right for me. And last but not least, uh, Russ wanted to make some comments on, uh, on Richard's studio. Richard fi- finally got some information up over at the Black Sparrow Media Network about uh, resonant frequency, the amateur radio podcast. And towards the end, it gives a short description of my studio. And Russ wanted to comment on that. Did I? Yes. I don't see that in the, in the etherpad. Uh, you said it when I posted it that day. And you know what? Guess what? It's kind of like this. Let's see. Oh, look, it's there in the pad. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Let's see. Richard records from his makeshift studio inside a cardboard box. Oh, but I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, you're going to be your outro. So you can go ahead and do that if you want to, or you go ahead and do your initial outro. I'll start the outro music and. When you come back in, you can tell me all about your, uh, your cardboard box there in the Trinity Valley. <laughs> no, Trinity Valley is on the other side. Oh, all right, folks. That's pretty much it for this time. And, uh, y'all go by and check out the, uh, the aggregated site over at blackasparrowmedia.net or.com. Both of them show up. Uh, be careful if you click on an old link for over there because it might show you a 404 like it did for me a while ago. Uh, y- if you want to get in contact with me, send me an email at kb5jbv at gmail.com. kb5jbv at gmail.com. Or follow me on the regular suspects, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Identica, whatever it might be. And with that, I'm going to give it over to Russ and let him give you his information. All right. This is Russ K5TUX. You can contact me at K5TUX at LHSpodcast.info or both of us together at info at LHSpodcast.info. Go to the website, LHSpodcast.info. Leave us a comment. Leave us a voicemail at 909-547-7469. That's 909-LHS-SHOW. We would love to have your voice content for the program. Send us an email. Leave us a comment on the website. Visit me at all the social networks, including Google+, Twitter, Facebook, and Identica. And uh, keep in touch. Visit us on the IRC at irc.freenode.net in channel hash. Well, that would be hash like hash. No, that'd be pound LHS podcast. Um, 
I think if you haven't got the information by now, you probably don't, but it's all over on the website, so check it out. This has been episode number 78 of Linux in the Ham Shack, and I'm Russ, K5TUX, live from between the peaks in the pine forest of north central Arkansas. And I'm going to send it down to the cardboard box in 40, Texas, where Richard's going to sign off by saying... Well, y'all just remember that Richard records from a makeshift, from his makeshift studio inside a cardboard box located somewhere in the Trinity River Bottoms near Forney, Texas. Now, I think I'm going to go watch Dallas chase some hell goats. See y'all next time. Mm-hmm.